You're listening to Intelligent Data, a podcast by Proficient. Proficient is a global digital consultancy that's transforming how the world's biggest brands connect with customers and grow their businesses. Throughout this series, you'll learn how valuable data is today and how it can transform your business. And now here's our host, Arvind Morali, Data Chief Strategist and Principal at Proficient. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Intelligent Data. In this podcast, you're going to hear Scott Albahari talk about the concepts of universal banker, robo-advisors, and his insights on customer intelligence. You will also hear about the trends in financial services industry and what you need to think about as we start going down the pandemic recovery path. I am very excited to hear more. Since the COVID pandemic, financial services organizations have been responding through the crisis with business continuity plans, including organizations filing for bankruptcy or people losing jobs and and not able to pay their bills on time. Financial services organizations owe it to their customers in supporting them with the trust, transparency, and data-based decision-making. Our guest today is Scott Albahari, my good friend who is also Proficient's Financial Services Chief Strategist. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Arvind. Appreciate being here. Fantastic. Well, Scott, um, just if you can qu- do a quick introduction about yourself and your role at Proficient, that would be a fantastic start. Sure. I've been working in the financial in- services industry since the early 2000s. And as a chief strategist in our financial services group, my role is to really look out and see what trends are happening in the industry and help translate those trends to our sales and marketing folks so that we can provide the right solutions to our financial services customers. Thank you, Scott. So what are some of the data and AI-based disruptions that you're seeing in banks and and, uh, insurers? I would almost turn that around and say, we're seeing a lot of disruption. Certainly pre-COVID, we saw a lot of disruption caused by just the advancements in technology, especially database marketing and artificial intelligence and machine learning. And really since the COVID crisis, we're seeing that, uh, that data and artificial intelligence really are there supporting some of the solutions banks are needing and, and implementing now at a very fast clip, you know, people have not been able to walk into branches for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a sort of a reexamination going on in the banking industry of the branch footprint and what purposes they should serve. And the idea that, that most people have been doing almost all of their banking digitally uh, for the past six months has really caused a reexamination of both how well they do the digital banking and what, you know, how that fits in with the traditional branch network. Yeah. I used to be one of those guys who writes a a remittance form for depositing a check. And now it's (laughs) just go to an ATM and insert the check and it'll scan it and tell you the amount. There's no need of any additional form. So um, I'm excited about that prospect of digital banking, Scott. Exactly. And it, and you know, a lot of banks are doing a lot of things well, and I think the challenge really is to kind of organize all of that together across channels. And that's really the the challenge in front of the banks right now. So you've got that much more data, especially with digital banking, right? Um, how do you see organizations using that data and analytics towards the customer intelligence? 
Well, what, what we really see is banks are starting to think about and embrace the concept of a universal banker, right? So the guy inside the branch bank, they don't want to abandon the, the branches per se, uh -huh. but the folks inside the branches, they want to transition them from being transactional style support people to more relationship-based sales and relationship-based bankers. And to do that, there needs to be some degree of you know, we could call it customer intelligence or sales enablement, but there needs to be some sort of uh, technology support that helps them recommend products and services that gives them the knowledge that they need across a wide variety of situations and a wide variety of products and services. You know, banks have can have some pretty complex products and services, especially when you get into mortgage loans, auto loans, uh, some of the wealth management offerings. And to expect a, a person sitting in a branch to have knowledge of all that is 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 not necessarily um, not necessarily a good uh, thing to expect. So you do need to provide them with some level of systemic support in order to to uh, service customers that walk in the door. Interesting. So you mentioned this word universal banker. Is that the same or similar term as something like a customer 360, as in I know everything about this banker and I cross-sell, upsell products and services? Is that what that term is? Exactly. Uh, a universal banker would be someone who knows everything about you and can recommend the right products and services that the bank has across the, you know, across the different subsidiaries of the bank so that you are, they can satisfy more of your financial needs, right? That, that's the whole idea is to make you a more loyal customer and not have you go someplace else for an auto loan or a mortgage or, uh, you know, a simple investment account or, or what have you. Interesting you bring it up. Um, this goes to another concept of master data management and data governance, which I know that banks have been embracing for a very, very long time. Do you think that the, the digital banking and the universal banker will accelerate the master data adoption, Scott? Well, I think they, it, it, yes. I mean, in, in, a, in a short answer, yes. It, you, they have, the banks have to adopt the, the idea of master data management um, in order to be successful in this new environment. And as you said, that, that banks have been working on this and thinking about it along with data governance for a long time, you know, the, the, it's a cultural thing, right? You, when I was working uh, for one of our clients and we were actually doing a data governance, master data management type of project, you would go and talk to the per people who ran the production systems and they'd say, no, my data's fine. We run the whole bank on this, on this system. They didn't really have an idea or an appreciation of where, how their data was used downstream and what transformations were made to it. And so the, the idea of data governance and, and understanding lineage and things like that were kind of foreign to them. And it's really a cultural effort to bring together those different groups within the, the bank or financial services organization that need to work together in order to get a, a good data governance program stood up and functioning appropriately. You know, a, lot of, a lot of the production people just look at it as, oh, geez, it's another guy coming to ask me stuff that I really don't have the time to provide. And so, you know, there's there's sort of the technology aspect of it, and yet there's also the cultural and management aspect of it to get those running smoothly. How do you see, you know, one of the challenges that I've seen in adoption of data governance is the lack of 
business support. I mean, IT driving this MDM data governance uh, implementation. Has that changed? Do you see business a lot more engaged and involved in these data decisions? I would say that it it ha- it depends on the organization. I w- I would say there's everyone loves the concept of it until you start to talk about who owns the data and who's responsible for keeping it accurate and clean. And then everybody sort of says, well, that's not really what we want to spend our time doing. And so there's, you know, there's, there's that aspect that needs to be addressed head on. And, and, and those are some, those are the challenges really that I've seen in terms of standing up these programs effectively. And some organizations do it better than others, quite frankly. Sure, sure. And you nailed it. I I was listening to another podcast and something that came up was this term called data owner. It sounds very controlled. It sounds very uh, authoritative, right? Uh, It's good and bad in its own way. And and, uh, the more you use words like data stewards versus data owners, business is getting on board. Of course, you need data. Of course, you need analytics. But it's that context and the culture of of adopting data governance into the organizations right exactly and the the other interesting thing that that we're seeing now is when when we talk about master data you know master data has its roots you know 15 years ago right and the uh you know the idea is you take a subset of master data and you make it reference data and then that's what you put in your master data hub and you know, you might have 20 pieces of data or 50 pieces of, pieces of data that you actually manage very closely. What we're seeing now is with the advent of, of the cloud-based solutions and some of the database technologies that are very, very scalable and provide lightning fast performance, um, you know, organizations are starting to look at more data elements to, to define as master data or reference data. And we're actually working at a customer now that has over 1,500 pieces of data that they are, are including in their relational master database, uh, the relational master customer database is a better way to say it. And that includes transactions as well as, as you know, things, traditional things like name and address and, and that type of stuff. But it also includes the transactions and uh, things like what kind of campaigns they respond to and a whole bunch of different things so that they'll be in a position uh, kind of moving forward to be able to make real-time decisions at the time of, of the interaction with the customer based on a lot more pieces of data than just maybe 15, 20, 30 pieces of data that they that we used to consider the master database. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to stick to your universal banker theme here and go to this next part of, uh, uh, you know, data type, big data. As you know, as I've been working with some of the financial services organizations, um, something as as simple as your ATM transactions or point of purchase or payments becomes extremely critical to build that 360. As you know, a lot of the data we're talking about here may or may not be structured. So how are organizations embracing this um, big data data? In, in making their decisions about the customer or the universal banker, if you will. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, if you think about the amount of ATM transactions, the amount of credit card purchases, debit card purchases, I mean, it's, it's billions a day, right? And so this data is just growing uh, by leaps and bounds. And, um, you know, 
banks and, and financial services companies, you know, wealth managers and insurance companies are embracing um, big data as a way to kind of manage it all. You know, there's the unstructured data, there's the structured data. A lot of what they're doing is kind of experimenting, right? So, you know, there's there's a lot of skunk work, black box kinds of things going on where they're, they're trying to figure out what is the secret sauce? What are the right correlations? What's the data we should be tracking and what's the data that really doesn't re- doesn't really help our business move forward? And that there, there's still a lot of experimentation going on. I would say, you know, there's been some good success in terms of kind of looking at all that data and helping that uh, determine, you know, what, what kind of campaign solicitation message a customer will, will be more likely to respond to. There's been a little bit less success in, in terms of that next best offer or that, you know, real-time recommendation because that that's still, I think, an area that a lot of organizations are experimenting with to find, you know, what's the right balance between making the right recommendation and just making a recommendation that that seems to be right, but that really isn't right for the moment. You, you mentioned uh, uh, those predictive models, those machine learning algorithms, right? How does social media fit into all of this? I mean, basically, you're now looking at um, personas, you're, you're understanding their emotions. Have you seen banks and, uh, uh, you know, reinsurers effectively use uh, the emotional aspect using third party or social media data sets? Again, I think that's an area that's still uh, under aggressive experimentation and perhaps more modest implementation. The, or, the banks and insurance companies and wealth managers are, are trying to figure all this out. You know, it's a fine line to, to kind of say something to a customer that they don't necessarily think you know, but, be, but because you've looked at their social media page or you know something about them that, that they haven't necessarily told you. So it, it is a, a fine line to walk. But, you know, the holy grail is... is Let's say you know someone is making purchases. Uh, they made a purchase this month, uh, and you know they made two purchases last month, and maybe six purchases a month before on on the credit card. It's better to know that perhaps they might have children of school age, and that they're making these purchases at a toy store or a school supply store, and then one of those stores is one of your partners in your merchant network. That kind of information is very valuable, and that's really the holy grail for kind of supplementing the the bank-owned data with third-party data, both from data aggregators as well as from social media. And, you know, as you were stating that, I was thinking about this, um, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a financial services digital ecosystem right? It's not always about the single bank. It's about how that, how the customer of that bank interacts with all the other factors and all the other organizations. What, you know, do our financial services organizations thinking about their ecosystem? Where do they fit in the larger uh, context? And and are they, um, you know, using data analytics to figure that out? I think the, again, the short answer is yes, the more forward-thinking financial services companies are definitely thinking about ecosystem. And you you see a lot of, you know, we don't talk about it so much in the U.S. about open banking, but, you know, we we have the same concepts going on, even though it's not necessarily codified with a 
with a, an open banking regulatory mandate like it is in other parts of the world. But you know, they are thinking about how do I integrate all my systems together? And obviously the answer comes back in this day and age, you need a, you know, a robust API environment and API ecosystem. And that brings you to the question of which third parties should I integrate into that ecosystem in order to enhance my products and services, right? Do I want to be a sort of a wholesale producer bank and, and let other, you know, other third party fintechs uh, do the customer experience part of it and do the apps? Or do I want to be the end to end service provider? And do I want to plug and play different fintech capabilities into my overall solution architecture so that I can a reduce the amount of money internally I'm investing and spending on development and be leverage some of the work, great work that's out there in the marketplace. No doubt. And especially when you have a payment ecosystem like a Zelle or Zoom, uh, you know, banks have to be integrated with that ecosystem as well to understand how their customers are using those options. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and like you said, it comes down to doing the right analytics, right? Because you're just generating a tremendous amount of data and understanding who's using what and how they're using it and what they're buying with it is vitally important to tweaking the products as well as making the right offers to your customers going forward. For sure, for sure. All right, let's uh, let's change gears to wealth management. So I'm hearing this, this uh, trend called robo-advisors, which my understanding is that it's essentially a process intelligence and automation play uh, for something like risk modeling and, and uh, credits and debit cards um, kind of thing. What what do you think about the trend? What are some of the challenges you can you can face in in the realm of data analytics and AI uh, as it relates to robo advisors? What are your thoughts there? Well, I think uh, you know when in in the wealth management space when the robo advisors came out a couple of years ago, it was it was like Gartner always says with the uh, technology, right? It, there was a lot of hype around it. There were predictions that it would replace financial advisors. And what really happens is the technology finds its its own value and finds its own place. And I think we're starting to see that in that it is a good tool for uh, supplementing a financial advisor. It's a good tool for providing services to what is essentially a very underserved market in this country. Uh, folks who don't necessarily have a large portfolio or large enough for a dedicated financial advisor, but who need some advice and who need some guidance in terms of how to make their investments and rebalance their portfolios and, you know, not have everything in stocks or not have everything in bonds or in cash. And so the, you know, the idea of, of the artificial intelligence and the, and the, the sort of the automated way of, of managing a portfolio makes a lot of sense. And a lot of wealth managers are adopting it as part of the service offering. Um, I think you see a little less, you know, some of the companies like Betterment that are totally focused on on uh, working through robo-advisors, you even see them offering live advice. So, you know, we believe that the future is always going to be more of a hybrid than one or the other, and that the appropriate technology support for uh, an FA network is really probably what most wealth managers will end up doing. Obviously, the, you know, the FAs will want to focus on, quote-unquote, the more profitable clients, the ones who have higher net worth, but they don't want, they want to make sure that you're bringing in the folks who are accumulating wealth 
and you got to start somewhere. And that, that is really the idea behind, you know, automating or providing an automated service to some of the folks who have smaller portfolios because they need to be, they need those kinds of services. And yet they're not going to generate the kind of revenue that would justify a dedicated FA. And what's so interesting about that, Scott, is that I myself uh, work with a wealth management institution, a very large one. Um, what was so amazing to see is they, when, when I signed up for an account about a year ago, there was a customer service person who actually helped me download their desktop application, which has these predictive models and stuff. And they said, if you want to be an app developer who's going to use this data, you can. You won't have access to other individuals' data. But if you want to go build your own mobile app, you can. I was amazed to hear that. And that gentleman even gave me a, an hour walkthrough of how to use the desktop app uh, for predicting certain areas of investment in my portfolio. So I don't know if that's what you mean by open banking or that's more of uh, them offering you a platform which you can interact with via APIs or something like that. I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, that's that's opening up the kimono, whether you call it open banking, that would be more in the banking space, but, mm -hmm. you know, giving clients, uh, you know, some more control over what's going on is really one of the ways to kind of embrace the younger generation that is accumulating wealth right now, because the younger generation is used to being more hands-on and really they, you know, the, the, the younger folks want the ability to go get advice from a live person, but they don't necessarily need it all the time. And that's, again, the hybrid model is, is really, you know, that that's an excellent example of, of kind of using the technology to support the, uh, the FA network and using the technology as a way to, to, in, to help make you a more loyal customer. Cause if you're going to spend time learning the desktop application, it's going to be hard to switch when you, when you, when you get a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more, assets under your belt. I really hope that when you refer to quote unquote younger generation, you mean me and thank you for the compliment. <laughs> I mean you, I don't mean me. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, no, that that's, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I know proficient is doing a lot in this space right now. Scott, is there anything, uh, you know, we're coming to the closure um, of our podcast here. Did I miss anything you would like to cover for our audience here? No, I think we, we covered it pretty well. I think the, you know, the only thing that, that really is kind of out there that uh, we haven't talked about is that whole cybersecurity and, and, you know, as you, as you, kind of give more data over to these companies in order to, so that they can serve you better. There really is a uh, sort of this inherent contract that the companies need to protect that data. And that's a very important kind of a sacred thing because if, uh, if you don't honor that you lose trust and trust is very, very hard to regain once you've lost it. And uh, you know, you can ask any company that's, that's suffered a serious data breach how hard it is to regain customer trust after that. You bring up a fantastic point, regulatory compliance. Absolutely. No, that that's very, very important. Uh, did not want to undermine that at all. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, thank you for bringing it up. So, you know, what, what advice would you give for our listeners, especially executives who are 
kind of thinking about what happens post COVID. I mean, how do we how do we take us from where we are to a more digitally modernized uh, experience and focus on personalization for our customers? What are the you know two to three things you would say to those executives who are thinking about it? In any of the digital interaction, digital channel space, and the personalization space, you know, a very solid data management capability and a data infrastructure is vital. So really focusing on, you know, how, how, how good is the organization at sort of managing data? How good is the organization at, at orchestrating and, and analyzing that data? And how good is the organization at uh, um, sharing that data between groups internally and really take a hard look at, at the whole data management infrastructure and how that works in the organization? Because that's really the foundational building block for all of the things that we've been talking about from a customer intelligence point of view, personalization point of view, sales enablement point of view, as well as, you know, uh, cybersecurity and, and regulatory compliance and all of that kind of stuff. So those are the areas, you know, it's almost like that that's not the sexy area in today's uh, uh, technology, but that's the area that really needs to be paid attention to. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been very educational and informative to know what the financial services industry is up to. Personally, I learned a lot and, and I wish and hope that our listeners will learn and feel free to ask questions. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Arvin. I appreciate being here. Thanks for tuning in to Intelligent Data with Arvin Morali. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Perficient.com or listen to this series on top podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon.